Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Hello, and welcome to Point of Defense. I'm Reverend John Crawford, your host, and I'm very excited about today's topic. I'm going to be talking about Lordship Salvation. What it is, what does it mean uh, when we're talking about Lordship Salvation? How does it relate to salvation? Uh, Those kind of things. And so uh, today, I have a very special guest that has a book out on this subject. It's Dr. Charles C. Bing. He has a PhD from Dallas Theological Seminary. He's the founder and president of Grace Life Ministries, and he's also an active author, conference speaker, and adjunct professor. And I have his book on this subject, Lordship Salvation. It's the second Grace Life edition. It is a reformatted version of his doctrinal dissertation. So if anyone knows about this subject, it's uh, Dr. Bing. So Dr. Bing, welcome to Point of Defense today, sir. Thank you, John. It's good to be with you. Appreciate the invitation. Yes. Yes, thank you for coming on, and I was very excited uh, when you agreed to come on here. So this is a a very controversial topic. It's also one of uh, that has caused a lot of division in our churches, uh, several different denominations, and uh, it's one I think that needs to be addressed a lot further uh, than what it has. And there's people out there that really don't even know what it means when you say lordship salvation. And so uh, that's the topic we're going to talk about uh, today. So if you just want to begin today. Uh, and just uh, we'll just talk about this topic here. And let me just begin by asking this question. When we're talking about lordship salvation, what is lordship salvation, Dr. Bing? Yeah, I think the definition of lordship salvation that its adherents would agree to is that in the, uh, in the decision to believe in Jesus Christ, that faith in Christ contains or includes a commitment to serve and obey him as master of all of your life. So it is a a commitment to um, all of your life to Jesus as Lord, not just a transaction that forgives sins for salvation. So they've added quite a bit to the simple gospel of believing in Jesus Christ for salvation. It includes commitment and obedience and uh, uh, the intention to submit, promise to submit all of your life. I think the name is a little bit misleading. I think it should be called commitment salvation. Okay. It sounds as if they front load the gospel. Yes, they do. Absolutely. Uh, they You've ask, got a promise to do all these things uh, to, before you actually believe. And then, oh, by the way, you got to believe too. Um, and make here's one, make Jesus your Lord. I've heard that term used before. And, and I'm thinking we don't make him do anything. He's already Lord. Exactly. Uh, that, that's why the term lordship salvation little bit misleading because they call the view that don't agree doesn't agree with them like my view they call it the no lordship view sometimes which is uh, very misleading because of course i believe in the lordship of jesus christ if jesus wasn't if jesus was not lord he could not be savior but he could only be savior because he is our lord and our god but that's that's his objective position that's different from saying subjectively that i must must re- surrender myself to him as the master of my life in order to be saved because that involves a lot of decisions, committing my life to him, uh, uh, taking up his cross, following him, obeying his uh, commandments. And there's all, I mean, it's an endless list of, of things that we would normally call discipleship commitments. And they've added that to the front of the gospel. 
That's true. Right. So it sounds like they confuse discipleship with salvation, basically. Yes, they say that that disciples are born, not made, whereas I would say disciples are made, not born. So they say that every Christian is a disciple. There's no such thing as a Christian that is not following Jesus Christ. If you're not following Jesus Christ, now here's where they put works in the back end. If you're not following Jesus Christ, you never really were a Christian to begin with. Perseverance of the saints, according to Calvinism, basically. Uh, yeah, that's why a lot of Calvinists hold to lordship salvation, most of them, yes. Now, isn't it very misleading and dangerous, I would say, to stand up for preachers to stand up and give altar calls in these churches and say, well, you've got to come follow Jesus. You've got to commit to him. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. Isn't that very deadly spiritually to people? And doesn't it cloud people's understanding of what the true gospel is? Absolutely, it does. It, it does make for a good uh, living as an evangelist, though, if you preach that gospel, because people are constantly doubting their salvation right. and constantly going forward in church because they, they know they're not following Jesus perfectly. And so there's always room for doubt. And that's the whole danger of that, that uh, view of the gospel is that you never know if you've done enough. Let me just put it simply. If it depends on our human performance in any way, we will always live with doubt. And every Lordship Salvation person, to be consistent, will admit that they're not totally submitted to Jesus Christ in every area of their life. And no. privately, they have confessed that they're not sure they're saved. And they cannot say with 100% assurance that they have eternal life because they're not sure that they're absolutely saved. And they're not sure if they'll persevere in their works in the end of their life. Right. And now I've been guilty before I, I share with you before the broadcast of uh, had, you know, I've been exposed to Calvinist renderings that teach that, well, if you don't live it, you're not living it. You don't have any fruit. There's no root. You were never saved to begin with. And as you say, that does uh, cause people to doubt. Well, have, have I done enough? Did I do this right? Did I pray the right prayer? Did I, whatever it may be. And when the scriptures plainly say the gospel of John doesn't mention repent, confess, pray a sinner's prayer. It just says simply to believe in him for everlasting life. And people say, well, that's easy believism. Well, do you want hard believism? That's what I always like to respond with. You want to make it hard? And actually, yeah. Lord, salvation does make it hard. Well, and because one of the leading proponents of that view, who is John MacArthur, wrote a book called Hard to Believe. And that's mm -hmm. what he's trying to say is it's not just simply believing uh, in Jesus Christ, but it's also submitting and committing and all these other things. So, uh, again, it, nobody can be absolutely sure of their salvation if that's the view of the gospel that they take. Right, right. Uh, and it adds to John 3, 16, for example, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever behaves <laughs> rather than believes, you know, they base it on your behavior. So that is very dangerous, I think. It's very deadly to, to pass judgment on someone to say, well, if you've not done enough works, you've not done this, then you're not saved. Well, only God can make that call. The only proof we have for salvation is is someone that they truly believed and trusted in Christ, according to what the scriptures teach. And that's what Jesus said. It's what the apostles taught, as you know. And and so uh, it's a very uh, controversial subject. Now, how would you respond? How do you respond to the critics that, that say to you, Dr. Bing, well, that's just easy believism. How, how do you respond to that? Well, I tell them uh, it's not easy to believe. I don't believe it's easy to believe. It's very difficult to believe that somebody who died 2,000 years ago, uh, it's different, uh, covered my sins. It's difficult to believe sometimes that I'm a sinner that deserves to go to hell. It's different 
it's difficult for some people to believe that there's a God that loves them. It's difficult to believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh who came and, and died on the cross for our sins. It's difficult to believe he rose from the dead. It's difficult to believe that what he did 2,000 years ago can apply to me today. It's difficult for me to trust in that. There's a lot of difficulties about it, but here's the thing. Uh, it's not easy to believe, but it is simple to believe. See, easy right. means without easy means without difficulty, but simple means singular, just one condition. And so I tell people, no, it's not easy to believe, but it is simple to believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's as simple as that. Simple as John 3, 16 also. Yeah, and that's what the Word teaches. Now, uh, let's talk about how repentance uh, fits into this for, for just a little bit. Uh, when we're talking about repentance, I understand there's, there's different beliefs, um, and we'll get into that. But now, how would you, coming from a free grace perspective, define what repentance is? What does repentance mean? We're talking about uh, repenting. How, how does that fit into the context of believing? Okay, well, I'll preface that by saying that the those who teach Lordship Salvation believe that repentance is a severe uh, sorrow for sins or an uh, intent to turn from sins or turning from sins. So they believe that repentance includes those things. Uh, when, when you do a word study of repentance, you'll find that uh, it has a basic meaning of change the mind. The word metanoia is made of two Greek words, meta meaning to, uh, or afterwards, it means after, and then to noeo, which means to think. So an afterthought gives the idea of changing the mind. Uh, I simply define it as changing the mind, but I, I've actually refined that a little bit because in the scriptures in the New Testament, the mind and the heart are actually uh, synonymous with one another. They're used synonymously. So a change of heart, a change of an inner direction, but it's, uh, it's distinct from an outward turn or change of direction. And that's very easily seen in the scriptures. Like when uh, John the Baptist is preaching to the Pharisees in Luke 3.8, Matthew 3.8, he says, repent and do works befitting repentance. So repentance is the root. The works befitting repentance is the fruit. So we have to distinguish between the internal change and the outward works that, that should and usually do accompany it. And we have reason to think that they will accompany it. But repentance does not mean to turn from every sin. Uh, when we attach that to the gospel of salvation, again, we're stealing people's assurance because how do we know if we've turned from every sin? Uh, sometimes we're unconscious of our sins. You know, the Old Testament provided for sacrifices for those who were not even conscious of their sins. And uh, it, it leaves a lot of room for doubt because even though I might uh, re repent, change my mind, or turn from sins today, uh, I might slip and do the same thing tomorrow. And again, that doubt will come back. Uh, so it's, it's a very uh, uh, confusing view of repentance. We, if you take it in the context, in the New Testament, the word repentance, a change of heart, fits every, uh, every use of the word. And, you know, it's not always sin that is the object of repentance in the New Testament. Sometimes it's a repentance towards God or repentance from dead works um, and, and things like that. And, you know, we could go on and on about the word study and what it means. But in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for turn is the word shuv or derivative of the word shuv. And that means turn. It's used over a thousand times in the Old Testament in the Hebrew. But when the Greek translators in the Septuagint version, 
about 300 years before Christ, when they translated the Hebrew Old Testament into the New Testament, they never, ever, not one time, translated the word shuv with the word metanoia. And the, in fact, when they came to the Old Testament and translated some of these passages about uh, God changing his mind, uh, they used the word metanoia for God. And the Old King James Version continues to use the word God repented. So it can't be repentance or changing your mind or turning from sins because God doesn't sin. It just right. shows you how they understood that word. Right. And uh, to add to that, um, I had mentioned this to you on the phone. We were talking here recently. If I have to, if I'm a lost sinner and I have to turn from all my sins and stop all my sinning, what happens? I get saved. Okay. Based on that. What happens when I turn back to my sin and I, you know, does that mean I'm lost again? <laughs> that that would be a serious problem. That logic would have to go together. If I've got to stop my sinning to get saved, well, more than likely, I'm going to start sinning again because I live in this flesh. Well, I guess I'm lost again, right? I mean, if you yeah. go with that that type of thought. Well, some of them, there is a branch that would think that. Some of them would say you or lose your salvation. That would be the Arminian branch. The Calvinistic right. branch would say that you were never saved to begin with. Mm -hmm. The What I call the free grace view that I hold to would say there are consequences for your sin. You do not lose your salvation, but you have to give an account for your life at the judgment seat of Christ. Correct. So this, this whole doctrine of judgment seat of Christ is a good topic for another broadcast. We don't have time to yes. talk about it here. But it right. holds Christians, it tells Christians that you're responsible and accountable for your actions and that there are consequences to sin. Exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I could see why that would cause someone to doubt because if they think, well, I've not, I've not repented enough, I've not stopped this, I've not stopped that. And I'll give you an example. Um, if we, if we just, if we want to use that, that term turn from sin or stop sinning, let's just say that's correct. Well, I had a stepdad for years that was, that was a drunk, a drunkard three months before he got saved, before he got born again, received Christ. He, he completely stopped drinking. Did his stop drinking save him? Of course not. So that doesn't even, that doesn't even work. He got saved and he received everlasting life and believed in Jesus for it. You know, uh, that's, that's so true, John. And, uh, you know, I could give you my own personal testimony, uh, but just to, to keep the shorter version, uh, I go saved at the age of 19. But as a teenager, I did a lot of things that involved uh, substance abuse and other things. And when my good friend died, when I was 18 years old, I stopped doing those things. I repented, but I wasn't saved. So I knew those things were wrong and I stopped doing them a year before I even was saved. So, um, you know, and I could share with you some very sad stories about people who um, uh, hear a, a wrong message about repentance. And one person didn't know if he had truly repented of all his wrongs. He, he sold all his, he'd go and back to everybody. He asked for forgiveness. He sold his house and, and paid people back when he thought he owed them. And he still wasn't sure of his salvation. Uh, I get notes from people like that all the time. And it's truly sad that yeah. they have no assurance. Right. Uh, so yeah, repentance in that sense does not save. Um, and we can't stop all of our sinning anyway. That's why we have to have a savior. <laughs> right. But, but yeah, it, it, this whole thing of Lordship salvation and repentance really, uh, it's very divisive and confusing and it shouldn't be, it, it really shouldn't be. Now, let me just mention a few of these different views and we can kind of comment on them. And the first one here, repentance is not necessary for salvation. There is a, um, Zane Hodges holds to this view. It's not necessary at all. Uh, now, he gives some good arguments for that. 
I don't, I don't know uh, what you think. What are your thoughts about that? In other words, it's not repentance is there in the scripture, but it's not a part of salvation. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about that particular view? Now that's the extreme grace, free grace view. Well, yeah. And St. Hodges uh, was a good friend before his death and we ministered together. Uh, and then he came out with this view and uh, I examined it very carefully. I read his book three times and I came to the conclusion I don't agree with it. And the main weakness of that view is that it sees the word repentance as always referring to turning from sins. Always. So it locks it into that definition where it is, it is a more flexible term than that. And sin is not always the object of repentance. And, and the view is then that even an unsafe person can turn from his sins and find favor with God and have harmony with God. Uh, and that, that's a little hard to understand or believe for me. But the main weakness of that view, in my opinion, is that it confines repentance to a very narrow definition. And the Bible doesn't do that. It is more a flexible term. For example, if I, if I would say, use the word dozen, I'd say, hey, would you bring me a dozen? What, what would your first question be? Doesn't what? Yeah. yeah. Right, so right. It depends on the context. And so when we talk right. about repentance, repentance from what? From dead works, repentance toward God, repentance about who Jesus is, repentance about whether I believe I'm a sinner or not. It, it doesn't always mean turning from sin. In fact, to even, like I said, to define it with the word turn is very biblically inaccurate because there's a separate Greek word for turn, strepo or epistrepo. It's right. a totally different word. Uh, linguistically, just doesn't work. Right. Uh, now, the critics of the change the mind view, uh, I know Dr. Bob Wilkin is one of them. He, as you know him very well, I have his book on repentance. He claims that, that he used to hold to that. He no longer holds to that uh, because he asked the question, I believe, you know, what do you change your mind about? Sin, Jesus, unbelief to belief. What are you changing your mind about? What, how would you respond to that? Yeah, Bob is a good friend, and uh, he wrote his doctoral dissertation on repentance using the change of mind view, and I refer to it constantly. I think it's an excellent work. I think he did a, a conclusive job in showing and proving that repentance means primarily a change of mind or heart. And uh, <clears throat> when Zane Hodges changed his view, Bob fairly quickly changed his view, and um, I didn't follow them. And uh, that caused a little bit of separation in ministry, although we remain friends. Uh, so, yeah, we can see there's any number of, of different views on this one word. I did not realize that, that there's so many different views on repentance. And it's really uh, a little mind boggling, at least to me, to I have to go back and study and research and uh, read great books like yours that really explain things very thoroughly. Uh, to help under, get a better understanding of what repentance really is. Well, John, uh, let, me just, let me just interrupt you and say, don't okay. feel bad about this because it's a very controversial topic and people are still trying to make up their minds about it. And, um, but there's a long historical tradition, both from church fathers uh, and even before, of, of repentance meaning a change of mind. And I have some papers on my website to that effect, uh, tracing it back. It's been a consistent interpretation of that word. And the, the, and the English word is misleading to begin with because uh, repentance comes from the Latin word penitentia, which is a Catholic idea of doing deeds of penance. So it's not a good translation, but a lot of linguists have admitted that, but they say, well, it's the best word we've got unless we translate it you know, with several words, change of mind. So it's, right. a, it's a difficult subject, but we need to understand the morphology and where it comes from, what it means. So, so could we rightly and plausibly argue, if we go with the change of mind view, 
we change our mind from unbelief to belief because that actually takes a choice, a free will choice uh, to choose Christ. So we're changing our mind from unbelief to belief. We're turning to him. So we could uh, plausibly argue that, could we not? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That That's one way of looking at it. Or it could be one specific thing. Perhaps I didn't, I don't believe, I understand the gospel, but I don't believe it applies to me. And then that was pretty much my situation all my life. I'd heard the gospel, memorized Bible verses, went to Sunday school. I knew that Jesus uh, died for the sins of the world and rose again from the dead. I didn't doubt that. But I finally changed my mind and understood that when I understood that, that was for me. My mind changed about the application of that. I didn't think I was good enough for him to do that for me. And uh, when I understood the greatness of his grace, that changed my mind. Right, so it, right. it could be specific. Some people may not believe that Jesus rose from the dead or believe that they're a sinner. So there could be something specific, but just the act of believing in him as Savior shows us that people have changed their mind about something. Right, yeah. So that we could make that argument and be uh, it would be biblically accurate to say that. Now, here's another view. Uh, re, uh, repentance is a precondition for salvation. You know, this view says basically you've got to, it, it sets you up to believe. But, and you can share your thoughts. I think the problem with that view is it, it splits off what you have to do. It makes it two steps. Instead of yeah. receiving Christ alone through faith, you got to repent. All right, that's a separate thing. Number one, here's number two, you got to believe. And it, it adds all these lists, things like a plan of salvation rather than just the man of salvation who is Jesus. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, of course, the, the strength of that view would be that it keeps out repentance depends on how you define it it's separate from as a condition it's not a condition for salvation at all and so it doesn't um, dilute the gospel of salvation by grace alone through faith alone uh, but yeah I don't see it as a, a separate step so to speak and I think that there are places in the scripture where that is uh, in the in the context uh, used as a word for salvation that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance second uh, Peter 3 9. Uh, he wants us to go and preach uh, repentance and the forgiveness of sin, Luke 24. So it sounds like it is being used there in um, uh, almost a synonymous way with faith, or I would even say synonymous with faith. That's definitely a good argument as well. And of course, I think we probably mentioned this already. Uh, MacArthur's view, repentance of sin is necessary for salvation, which that goes right in line with the Lordship salvation view. I've got to commit. I've got to obey. I've got to persevere. All these things. It's, that's a, that's a, I think very scary to, to stand up behind a pulpit and tell people that. Yeah. Uh, you know, people constantly question themselves when they hear that. Uh, am I sorry enough for my sins? Am I yeah. definitely, have I definitely stopped doing that, that besetting sin that has, has plagued me all of my life? Uh, you know, some sins are more subtle than others. Uh, what about the sin of anger or jealousy or covetousness? Like, let's forget the big sins of adultery or murder and things like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, have I really repented of my anger? I still get angry today when I shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, I still <laughs> covet, covet today when I know I shouldn't. So have I truly repented of that? So all of those would be conditions for salvation in the Lordship salvation view. And it would just cause people to doubt and question themselves and throw them into a, a downward spiral of introspection and confusion. It messes with your assurance and it also causes people to not only doubt, but it, it discredits eternal security. I, I think also would, do you not? Because if you, you know, it makes people wonder if they're doubting, do I really have eternal security? Is there eternal security? Yeah. It, uh, what's it my would, security in my repentance or Jesus? 
Yeah, absolutely would cause them to doubt whether their their salvation is secure or not. <clears throat> and, and one view of that would say, well, your repentance is proven by how you live your life. And if your life shows that you've truly repented uh, and you're repentant and living faithfully to the end of your life, then we we know you're saved. That would be a strong Calvinist view. Yeah, so assurance in the in the Calvinist view is is almost impossible until the, the day that you die. Mm -hmm. In other words, their view is that all the elect are eternally secure, but you can't know that you're elect until the day that you die. <laughs> that's a catch-22 there. That's really a very tragic way to have to live. But that's that's exactly what they teach, and it is a very bad way to live. I've heard of Calvinists dying and their friends commenting, we hope that he died in faith. Somebody who's been a pastor and minister all of his life, we hope that he died in faith. Yeah, and the, con the contradiction there, Dr. Bing, is if God's already decreed and predestined for the elect to make it, why should they have to persevere? He's already predestined it. <laughs> well, it's yeah. a it violates the law of non-contradiction. You know, you, A cannot be A and non-A at the same time in the same sense. It can't be both be true that God decreed for me to do this, but yet I'm not sure if I made it or not, but he's already predestined it. That doesn't make any sense. That is one of the many weaknesses of the tulip Calvinism view. We could do a whole show on that too. <laughs> yes, we could. Yeah, that's why I'm not saying much more. We could do a whole yeah. show on that. We, yeah, we could. Maybe I'll have you back to, to do that sometime. <laughs> that that would be great. Okay, we got just a few minutes left, Doctor Bing. Would you just look into the camera and tell someone in clear and simple and plain language how they can be saved? Well, it starts with an understanding that we've been separated by our sins from God, that we have fallen short of his glory. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory. And then it tells us that Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross. And when he died as the God man, he died, his death proves that he's a man, but he rose from the dead to prove he was God and that God accepted that price for our sins. And so now today, Jesus can offer us the gift of eternal life because he lives. A dead savior can't save anybody. So the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And it says, whoever believes in him has everlasting life. So if we admit that we're sinners, we understand that God has provided uh, for our sins on the cross. He said it is finished, it's done with, and then he rose from the dead. And we believe in him and his promise of eternal life. Then we can have that gift of eternal life, not based on our feelings or our commitments or our repentance, but based on his promise. And we can be absolutely sure that we're saved because God does not lie when he makes a promise. So just believe in Jesus Christ as your savior from your sin, and he will give you eternal life because he loves us that much. Amen. And that's what the gospel of John says over and over and over in various different places. So uh, thank you for that. That is really a, an awesome a way to share the truth. Now, I want to put up here uh, on the screen your information so uh, people can contact you and check out your website. The website is gracelife.org, and uh, Dr. Bing's email is ccbgracer at aol.com, correct? Yeah, ccbgracer, or just charlie at gracelife.org also. Okay, gracer, okay, at aol.com, all right. And that way, if, if you'd like to contact Dr. Bing for more information, he's got a lot of great material on his website uh, regarding free grace, what it really means to believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, and that is the true gospel message right there. Don't let anyone else tell you any different. Amen. Yeah. Amen. All right, our time is up for this broadcast. Dr. Bing, thank you so much for coming, and we will see you again on next week's show as well for a part two.
Thank you, John. Thank you. God bless you. Good to be with you. God bless. Thanks for watching. Support this ministry through PayPal on our YouTube page. See you on the next show. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.